Joining me right now, New York State Senator Zellner Myrie represents the 20th district, Senate district in New York in central Brooklyn, and is someone who was protesting along with thousands of other people here in New York, peaceful protesters at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn on Friday night. And he was one of the people who were suddenly targeted by police. And it's one of the many stories we've been seeing of people peacefully protesting and finding themselves uh, for no reason uh, in the crosshairs of police. Uh, Senator Zellner Myrie joins me right now. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So Friday night, uh, you attended the protest at the Barclay Center, and you uh, found yourself being pepper sprayed and then handcuffed. Tell us what happened and how things escalated. Yeah, so, you know, I went down with my colleague in the assembly, assembly member, Diana Richardson, and we went down for two reasons. One, in solidarity because uh, both of us are born and raised in Brooklyn, born and raised as black men and women in this country, feel all of the rage, all of the sadness, all of the hopelessness that police brutality has visited upon our communities. So we wanted to go in solidarity, but also in our capacity as elected officials who have relationships with law enforcement. I knew many of the captains there I wanted to be a liaison between the protesters and law enforcement because I knew precisely what people were feeling. I felt it myself. I wanted to ensure that things would not escalate. I wore a neon green shirt with my name and title on the back precisely for this reason. And even with all of that, touching base with law enforcement, identifying myself, wearing a bright colored shirt with my name, we ended up still being victims. That is astounding, particularly when you uh, add in all of those details about how you had identified yourself and, of course, how you knew uh, some of the police officers and in the leadership, and you had actually spoken with them. Now, then, of course, people think about all of the other people who are peaceful protesters who didn't have that kind of um, ability to connect and certainly weren't identified that way and were also targeted. How did it happen then? Uh, what, what happened in the precise moment when you were um, pepper sprayed and uh, they then uh, wound up handcuffing you? So we were in a section of the protest where the officers had been standing on the other side. Uh, people had been expressing what they feel and uh, we were being told that we had to move back. And for the listeners who have seen a lot of these videos where police kind of uniformly charge forward, it is an instant act of aggression uh, while simultaneously instructing people to step back. So we were complying, we were moving back, and then I started feeling the wheels of a bicycle in my legs, in my back, and realized that they were weaponizing the bikes to push us back even in our compliance. I was pushed, I was shoved, I was trying to protect the people behind me, 
I turned my back to the officers, uh, one, to keep walking backwards, but also to display my name and my title. And as I'm complying, I'm getting hit and getting pushed. And I turn around and I say, we're following the orders. We're here to keep things calm. I was pepper sprayed. Uh, and one of the wow. worst pains that I've felt um, uh, in my life. And, and, and then I was grabbed by three or four officers um, and forced my hands in the back and, and subsequently handcuffed. Wow. What were you handcuffed for? Why were you charged? And were you then handcuffed with um, a bunch of other people and, and processed? So I don't know why I was put in handcuffs. And it was the first thing that I was asking. Now, I'm going through an immense amount of pain because I've just been pepper sprayed. Oh. Um, and I'm essentially crying out to the officers why am I being arrested? And I'm getting no answers. Uh, and I asked repeatedly and I'm getting no answers. And so I'm led to another section of the protest where they are conducting the processing um, uh, line. And, uh, you know, there were a number of people that were behind me that also got um, caught up in that. And once the higher ups realized what was going on and who I was, I was immediately pulled off the line. They cut my zip ties. Uh, I wasn't processed. I got medical attention. And this was a luxury only afforded by my title. There were hundreds of other folks that didn't have that, mm -hmm. but who had similarly just come out in solidarity and to say enough is enough. So having never been arrested, having never been pepper sprayed in my entire life, the first time that both of those things happen is as a state senator attending a protest against police brutality. Nothing warrants uh, brutality. Um, but was there anything, any violence, any property damage, anything that happening nearby that suddenly uh, put the police into this mode of any, uh, that, that, that you can recall? Nothing that I could discern that would that would encourage such aggression. Let me be clear. Are there agitators in every crowd? Of course, but there is only one entity in our society. <coughs> Excuse me. One entity in our society that has license to kill one entity that we allow to use deadly force under the coverage of the law. And that is our law enforcement officers. And so if you are an individual that possesses this immense power, you should have the commensurate immense restraint. Mm -hmm. And nothing that was happening was life-threatening or threat to public safety. These were people that were protesting and were they loud? Absolutely. That is our right, to be loud and to forcefully protest brutality. But were they a threat? Absolutely not. And that is why it is so confounding to me that we have seen an increase in police presence over the past two nights and aggression towards peaceful protesters, but an inability to prevent looting at institutions where we know they will be targets. Right. And, 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 and this is what is, uh, 
I, I think, and, and, and certainly I want to talk about it because people see all these pictures on television, um, really quite perplexing. In New York uh, last night um, for, you know, that we've seen it for several nights, but last night, uh, even with a curfew in place, uh, there was a lot of looting. Um, these were people who were opportunistic and came to just engage in, in crime. And they would wait for the police to sort of move on with the protest and hang back. It It just seemed like, how do you allow that to happen? But then you're um, engaging in violence against protesters <laughs> protesting peacefully. And I think for the people around the country, I guess, who are listening, and, and certainly this has happened in, in cities all over the country, um, they also wonder about that and how the police can't distinguish between the people who are engaging in crimes and the people who are peacefully protesting. Are they indiscriminately just going after the crowd or I mean how, how I guess what is your thought and what should they be doing well this gets to the heart of the matter if you cannot be discerning in the use of force if you can't make the judgment call between a peaceful if yet forceful but peaceful protester and someone who is being violent or committing a criminal violation, then perhaps it's time to rethink your role as a guardian of public safety. This is what we've been feeling in black communities time immemorial. We feel over-policed and we feel that the law enforcement is doled out simply because of our color. I had every credential that you would want someone to have. My degrees didn't save me. My upbringing didn't save me. My title as an elected official representing 300,000 people didn't save me. So imagine those of us that don't have any of those things. It would be just as bad, and it is just as bad. And so because, because there is that lack of trust, we don't know whether or not you were doing things in our best interest. That is precisely why we see the unrest that we do now. And even if you held all the trainings in the world, if you still have a system in which you can conduct yourself in a way that violates people's rights and there's no consequence, then you're going to continue to operate that way. And so until we see accountability measures, concrete measures that hold law enforcement responsible for their misconduct, there will continue to be no peace. And to that point, uh, as a legislator, as a state senator, uh, you're certainly focused on that, uh, both measures that will um, create that accountability and repealing measures that don't uh, allow for it. Uh, you and many colleagues are calling for the repeal of Law 50A, which blocks police personnel and disciplinary records from public view. Tell us a bit about that and the momentum behind it uh, at this moment. It it's such an important law because our interactions with law enforcement, as I was mentioning, is based on trust. And do we have the capability as humans to make mistakes when we are under duress? Absolutely. But when you are charged with keeping the public safe, you are held to a higher standard. And the public, I think, deserves to know whether or not you have a propensity 
to abuse that power that you've been given. And so the officer that pepper sprayed me, I have no idea if this officer has a history of excessive use of force. That right now, that disciplinary record, he could have been disciplined 25 times. We would have no idea of knowing that simply because of 50A that shields those records. Before I was a state senator, I worked on a pro bono case where we defended an individual who had been brutally beaten by two officers. And we wanted to get their disciplinary records to see if this is something they had done in the past. We cannot get it simply because of 50A. So we need to repeal it so that we can get to that and root out the bad apples. Because here's what they say. Well, this is just a bad apples problem. There's just a few of them. Except the bad apples spoil the entire batch. And in fact, they're all within the same rotten barrel. And that is the problem. It is corrosive on the entire system. And so for any of those folks who want to defend the status quo, I would ask them, why do you want to protect police misconduct? Your district in Brooklyn uh, stretches from Sunset Park all the way through um, Gowanus Park Slope, uh, Brownsville, and uh, Crown Heights, Flatbush, areas hard hit uh, by coronavirus, of course, in New York City, which has been the uh, epicenter uh, of uh, the coronavirus pandemic, the entire city uh, hard hit. And it's been uh, an enormous struggle, certainly for communities of color, disproportionately affected. Uh, talk a little bit about about how we've been dealing with with the pandemic and then this coming at the same time and um, how your constituents are feeling, what people are saying. Pure, pure devastation. My time over the past almost three months now have been almost entirely dedicated to serving constituents in what is an unprecedented time for us uh, across the globe. But as we've seen and the numbers have shown uh, disproportionately in communities of color and within my district, at least two of the top 10 zip codes with some of the highest rates still right now um, are, are, are in central Brooklyn. And you talk about Brownsville, where there is upwards of 41 percent positive tests for antibodies, uh, whether that's East Flatbush, where the numbers are similar. We have gone through what I grew up in my district, not too far from the hospitals that I represent. I have four of them. They have been going through uh, a really indescribable time trying to mitigate the worst elements of this crisis. And so we've felt the death here. We've lost community leaders, uh, even on my own staff. My district director lost her mother to COVID-19. So this is something we've felt very, very deeply. And I want folks to consider why in this pandemic that has hit our communities the hardest, why some of us are still willing to go outside and protest. That feeling of injustice is so deeply rooted that even in the face of a pandemic that has wreaked much havoc for us, we feel compelled to go out in the streets and express how we feel about it. And so we are, we're going through it. It's tough. We, there are no easy answers to this. I'm still going through it. 
dealing as a leader with the loss in the community and the needs that have arisen uh, that we could not have anticipated. You know, I'm doing food distributions and um, house calls and all sorts of things. And then just dealing with my own trauma of, of what happened on Friday, it's been really tough. But I think our community, black and brown communities, we have always called this country to its highest ideals. And even in the face of brutal oppression, whether that be intentional and in policy by way of lack of affordable housing, healthcare, and education, or whether it has been the brutality that we've seen at the hands of law enforcement, we have always risen above it and called this country to its best ideals. And I continue to believe that we will do that even in the face of what we're seeing right now. Well, it's it's just enormous uh, seeing the leadership that you're, you're providing and people all across the country uh, need it and they, they uh, appreciate it. So I, I thank you so much for coming on the program and speaking with us and certainly for being out there and uh, speaking for so many people. And we hope to speak to you again. Thanks, thanks for joining us today, Senator. Thank you so much for having me, and, and I'd love to be back. State Senator Zellner Myrie, District 20 in Central Brooklyn. You can follow him on Twitter at Zellner for New York, Z-E-L-L-N-O-R, number four, New York. We're back in a couple of minutes. The Michelangelo Signorelli Show.